You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the SB Nation NFL show. This is the off-day debrief. We are brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. BLG, it's Tuesday. Our teams are both miserable. How you doing? I'm doing great, Stats, to be here with you and for no other reason. Wow. Nothing else in your life going on that's good. Not when it comes to football-related things, I have to say, other than, again, the pleasure of talking not only with you, but here to the listeners who listen to the podcast on the SB Nation NFL show and all the shows, wonderful shows that we have here, but especially this one. All right. Well, you are about to be in a much better mood because we have a surprise guest this week. <laughs> We were supposed to do it last week for your birthday as sort of a little birthday present for you. Didn't work out, but we are very happy this week because we are going to be joined today by someone you know very well, someone the audience at Bleeding Green Nation knows very well, now working with The Ringer on the Ringer NFL show, Mr. <laughs> Benjamin Solak. What's up, Ben? Hi, VLG. Happy belated. Sorry. Thank I you. Absolutely no showed Rob last week. Uh, I was knocked out of sleep at 9 a.m. in the morning. But I'm glad to be here. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it feels good to be home. So we're not talking about jersey numbers. This isn't that. We're, we're, we're doing something else because... Ray Lovato uh, is gone. Who's going to take 49? <laughs> seven? Anyway, yeah. That's the big question on listeners' minds. So Ben has graciously agreed to join us for this episode. If you're new to the off-day debrief, we always relax, react to the Monday Night Football game. And we have the only... I don't know if you're aware of this, Ben. The only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom are on this show. Are you excited? Can't be the ones you sent me because uh, <laughs> I don't know about 100% accurate for those. Wow. You going to stand for that, Brandon? Ben knows that everything I say is true. Uh, we've had many a good conversation once upon a time covering Eagles training camp. And uh, everything that I said as we looked out at the practice field was always right. And what Ben said wasn't. So that's that's how it is. Let's get into the Monday night football game. First of all, I am an admitted Saints hater. I do not like them. I never have. I never will. But they got the win. They're four and two now. But is it safe to say seven weeks through the season, Ben, that Sean Payton is not a wizard? He has not transformed Jameis Winston into anything really that different from what we've seen before. Or is it safe to say that or am I just hating on the Saints? I, I think Peyton is still, you know, in sorcerer rankings. I think he's some sort of warlock. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say that Jameis is better than he was previously in Tampa Bay. Sure. Uh, he's still a high sack player. But in general, I don't think 
we haven't seen nearly as many knucklehead interceptions and boneheaded throws through seven weeks in New Orleans as we would have seen in Tampa Bay. Uh, it's not dissimilar to the way that you, you watch Wentz now in Indianapolis. And it's okay. Play style-wise, he's still the exact same player. We don't really get Tigers to change their stripes at the quarterback position. With that said, the peak plays seem to be coming at at least the same, if not a higher frequency. And the really, really bad plays, so the, the hamstringing plays, seem to come at a lower frequency. And so you can't make a Tiger change his stripes, but you can kind of get him in the spots where he's good and try to talk him out of the spots in which he's bad, right? And so I think that you have seen an improvement from Jameis. In general, uh, Saints defense is great. Saints, you know, uh, offensive line remains strong. Alvin Kamara remains the man. But they made this quarterback transition, and they just do not have the receiver core to really support it, right? This, this, this uh Jameis Winston passing game wants to throw the ball downfield to receivers you know the Saints don't have any downfield receivers so there's an incongruity on offense that I think it has more to blame for the Saints offensive issues than anything like Jameis is or Jameis isn't but that's what happens when you've been pouring money into building a competitor for years after years after years you all of a sudden have a roster problem you need to kind of make a quick change out of breezes in your quarterback and you just don't have the flexibility to do that I think the Saints knew that'd be the case. I thought they'd be a fringe wildcard team coming into the year. That's what they look like after seven weeks. Yeah, it looks like they can get to 10 wins. I mean, they're at four and two right now. And here are six more potential wins they have on their schedule. Okay, so they get the Falcons twice. They get the Eagles, which is a winnable game, yep. as Ben and I would tell you. Um, they get the Jets. They get the Dolphins. They get the Panthers. So, you know, I think they can get the 20, 10 and 7. Is that good enough for a wild card spot? Maybe, maybe not, depending on how the rest of the NFC shakes out. Um, I, I think we all know that they're not contending ever for a championship with Jameis. But again, they can maybe win a playoff game or at least make the playoffs with him. I don't know. what That doesn't really do a lot for me. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of about competing and not just making a playoff game. Um, but for the Saints, it seems like they can do that. Look, I think you're going to get a team into the playoffs in the NFC at 9 and 8. I really do. And they could certainly get there. Winning that game next week against the Buccaneers would be massive for them. It would also put them only one game back in the division. For Seattle, they're 2-5. and five. They're 0-3 in games that have not been finished by Russell Wilson. I know that they were in the game, but I just don't see how they're going to manage to get anything done without Russell Wilson. Is there any hope that Geno can keep them afloat, BLG, or do you just think this is a lost year for the Seahawks? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I think we all know the Gino uh, is the answer to your question. Not just no. Um, Horrible. Really bad. Uh, yeah. Just as bad as that that joke was. Yeah, just, it was just, pretty bad. They just don't stand a chance. They're like, what are you going to say? Um, I think the solution to fix the Seahawks personally is to trade Russell Wilson to the Eagles. And I think that will magically do all of their uh, self wonders. So they should definitely do that. Um, no. Uh, yeah, they're kind of just stuck. This feels like the year that um, we saw potentially happening where in the offseason, it was like, okay, Russ doesn't want to be here. Stats, you were convinced he wasn't going to be back. He is back. But now it seems like, okay, this is the end of the road for him. He's hurt. They're losing games. They might miss the playoffs for the first time. Or, um, you know, they might be under 500 or for the first time. Or it'll be Russell Wilson's second non-10 win game season. Like all that stuff could very well happen. He moves on. The New York Giants get him next year. My life is miserable because the Eagles don't get him instead. <laughs> uh, yeah, all that's going to happen. Yeah. Enjoy him in your division. Let me just say that. Ben, what, what do you think happens with Russ? This is really, really interesting to me and from a big like football nerd perspective because 
We've seen Russ cycle through a couple of offensive coordinators in his time in Seattle. Brian Schottenheimer, Daryl Bevel, now Shane Waldron. And we've seen Pete Carroll have this constant, slightly public tug of war with his offensive designer, whoever it is at, at the time, and his quarterback in terms of how much do we want to run the football? Uh, you know, what, what's our identity going to be on offense? And when you get down to brass tacks, you watch this offense every year it ends up looking generally the same. And that's going back to the Jameis point. Uh, quarterbacks don't really change their stripes. They are what they are. Russ is a very, very, very strong example of that. Russ likes to play ball a certain way. He wants to drop back deep. He wants to throw it deep. He wants to buy time in the pocket. He wants to get uh, way back in that pocket, right? Those big, long drops so he can see downfield he's not the tallest guy. That is who he is. So Shane Waldron comes in this season, new offensive coordinator, uh, Carol fired Brian Schottenheimer for very public reasons. If you remember in, in, in January, right, it was, we got to be able to run the football better. We know that balance is important, yada, yada, yada. And Waldron comes in, and this looks like the Brian Schottenheimer offense. Like, that's what it looked like with Russ. Like, they're, you know, they're getting into plays a little bit differently. Oh, they got jet motion going on now. Like, that's cool. But in general, Russ wants to line up, send DK and lock it deep, pick one and chuck it. And that's what this offense started to become without Russ. So seeing it with Geno is very uh, enlightening because they're still tr struggling to get this plane off the ground. Like it doesn't look like the Rams offense, right? They're in empty, like trying to like do the Jared Goff help, help stuff. That's not really working. They're not getting that like zone running game with the split flow action, the boot. Like, that's not really working. Waldron himself is struggling, which helps us understand why Russ probably took this offense early on and made it what he wanted it to be. But if we continue to see Waldron have trouble with Geno and then Russ gets back in and they go right back to the Russ offense because they think they need to win games to make the playoffs, like it, there's going to become a, a continuation of this frustration we get from Pete Carroll where all of his offenses just end up looking the same because it's what Russ wants. And that, I think, is, is the, the friction you, you saw initially last year. I think that's going to get bigger by, the, by this offseason. And the frustration that, all right, we had a game Jackson that didn't fix our running game. We've got Rashad Penny back, Alex Collins, Chris Carson. It's still not, we're still not running the ball enough. Like those frictions are going to continue to stay. Does that mean Russ leaves at the end of this year? I don't know that. But to me, I think this Geno experience is going to help shine even more light on these disagreements that, that Russ and Pete Carroll and whoever the unfortunate offensive coordinator have throughout the course of the season. Boy, that's just a damn shame. You hate to see that. Boy, yeah. I really would hate to see Russell Wilson leave the NFC West and go somewhere else after the year. Um, yeah, I just I think that when you release a list of teams that you are willing to play for in the offseason, I just don't think that that sets you up for success. When your quarterback has one foot out the door, it usually doesn't work. Now, I will admit, it seems to be working in Green Bay with the Packers, who currently are number five in your power rankings, BLG. But I just, even in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo, that situation is a disaster, which we'll get to later. Usually when the quarterback is looking elsewhere, that's not a formula for success for your team. So we'll see what happens with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. They are now, as I said, two and five on the year. All right, BLG, let's get to your power rankings. Only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. Number one, no change, Arizona Cardinals. Number two, the Rams. Three, the Buccaneers. Four, the Bills. Five, as I said, the Packers. The Cowboys are all the way up to number six. I know that stings for you. Cincinnati up from number 11. They are at seven. The Ravens fall all the way down to number eight after sitting at number three. Tennessee is at number nine, and the Chargers are at number 10. 
I feel like I'm, I say the same thing over and over again with the Arizona Cardinals, but like, here they are. They're undefeated. I still don't think they're like head and shoulders, the best team in the league, but I can't criticize them because they never freaking lose, Ben. Yeah, I would. I think that I get asked about the Cardinals. Like most radio hits you do, you get asked about the Cardinals because people want to like understand. Flex. But okay, sorry, whatever. <laughs> so, and and the thing I keep coming back to is, uh, I'm glad the team's undefeated. I like how talented the team is. A lot of fun. But there's a reason we didn't have this team as like top in the NFC West coming into the season. And really, we have one win over the Rams, which is a very nice game for them. Other than that, there's there not been enough moments for me where I feel like they've been so clearly tested. Like even when they played the Titans, it was way early in the season. Titans had no idea what they were doing yet. The offense looked horrible. Uh, I was going to love this Green Bay game because I thought it was going to be such a good heat check for the Cardinals, such a good litmus test. And now you don't have Devontae Adams and you don't have Joe Barry. And it's like, well, yeah. okay. Like, I think I think the, the Packers are going to run it on them pretty well. I think the Packers will keep it close. And I think the Cardinals will win because when the Packers need to throw the football late, you're going to be able to man up and play because they don't have Devontae and they have no depth behind him. And that's just – it's frustrating because I, I want to fully buy in on the Cardinals and this game was going to be a really important stepping stone for me to do so. And it just simply isn't going to be the test we hoped it would be. I'd push on back on that a little bit. I mean, going like they blew out Tennessee in week one and Tennessee has kind of been a weird team this year, but you know, pretty good. Um, and that was on the road. They also smoked Cleveland on the road. So like, you know, I think they have more quality than this. And then more importantly than anything, they have Zach Ertz now who Zach Ertz making history. Did you see, first... did you, did you watch him? <laughs> yes. Where, 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 where was all that? Where was, where was, where was a twisting one-handed catch? Where was run after the catch on a crosser for the last four years? It was his longest career touchdown. His longest career touchdown happened in I'm his not even first talking game. About, like, where was that like in the Hertz era where he dyed his hair bleached yeah. and he obviously knew he wanted to be traded, whatever. Where was that during like 2019? What the dickens? Wow, this guy was just chilling for the last three years. Watch your mouth, Ben. <laughs> yeah, no cursing on the show, Ben. Uh, big mistake by you. Uh, but yeah, uh, getting him, I think, is just a ne- nice extra boost to what they already have going there. Um, very feel very good for Zach Ertz, by the way. Just, just to get away from the Eagles, like how nice mm-hmm. it must be for him to not have to yeah, deal with this really anymore. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, and if they beat the Packers this week, I know it's without Devontae Adams and everything, but still, like they're just they're kind of just continuing to stack. I mean, they literally are stacking wins here. They're going to be eight and zero. I mean, you know. Where else are you going to put them, Stats? Where do you, where, if, if not number one? I'm not saying they shouldn't be number one at all. I mean, they've done everything right. And the thing, too, when you have a weird year like this where, you know, things are going really well for you, sometimes the stars just align. And, like, this is a perfect example on Thursday, right? This tough game against the Packers, boom, they're missing basically their entire offense, other than Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. Like, that's it for Green Bay. And you know what? We're not going to remember at the end of the season that this Thursday night game didn't have Devontae Adams. We're just going to remember if it was a win or a loss and good for the Cardinals. If they can get another win, they'll be eight. No. And sitting atop your power rankings next week. Uh, the next two, I think are interesting. The Rams and the Buccaneers, the Rams at times to me have looked really disappointing. And then at other times to me this year, they look absolutely unbeatable. Which team do you think we'll see more often going forward, Ben? Yeah, I was surprised to see the Rams at two because to me this that like I I continue to wait for the Rams to like like look, look the game against the Lions. That game was tight at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and I understand like it's the Jared Goff revenge game. Uh, the Giants the week before they ended up winning that game by twenty seven points. 
Daniel Jones goes out in the first half, we got to remember at the start of the second quarter, it was three nothing Giants. And then the Daniel Jones started turning the football over and this offense got moving. Uh, the Seahawks game was a game that I expected them to be able to dominate. They didn't. They have the Cardinals game. So I like the win against the Bucs. But to me, the Rams are a team that continues to get, like if you look at Vegas treatment, they were like 15-point favorites against the Lions. You know what I mean? They were huge favorites against the uh, the, the Giants, like up to, up to 16, 17. Or no, they're at 10, 11, excuse me. But regardless, they, they're getting the uh, this really like star team treatment. And then they generally underperform that. And then they'll surge. They'll get a, a big spike in scores. They'll get a, a quick turnover. And I like those surges. I'd like to see them more consistently over time. I think they have the pieces to be a team that's like very clearly top three. But I struggle to put them over the Bills. Uh, I struggle to put them over the Packers. I str- I'd probably put them more in the tier with the Cowboys than anything else. Uh, so I was surprised to see them this high. Right now, they feel a little bit more touch and go than I'd like a top team to be. Now, New quarterback, new offense. I think they're going to figure it out over time, but that's where I'm at with them right now. You can't be surprised. I mean, the the, the rankings aren't as accurate. Like, there's no like, oh, this should be lower, this should be higher. Like, this it is what it is. And, bad, right? I misunderstood the question. Yeah, yeah. You, for, you <laughs> forgot uh, what's what's the TikTok thing? Ben, you misunderstood the assignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank God Rob was here because I was not getting yeah. that. I'm so hip. You guys don't even know. Yeah, two Gen Zers here uh, between <laughs> Rob uh, Sats Guerrero and Benjamin Solak. Um, I mean. Like the Rams still won a game in which there were a lot of, you know, emotional things with Stafford and Goff and everything. And the Lions stole three possessions with what? Like one onside kick and two fake punts. And the Rams still won by more than one score. So, like, you know, I think that's pretty good. Um, uh, I don't feel amazing about them winning a championship when you have a coach who doesn't give you an edge in situations where you need to be aggressive. I think Sean McVay's cowardice could ultimately cost them. But I, at the same time, I think it's possible that they have so much talent and that Stafford is such a big upgrade that maybe that mitigates that and it doesn't matter in the end. And, and they, But I, I think it will. I tend to think it will because it'll be a close game. McVay's going to cowardly you know, kick a field goal or something in a, a crucial spot and it's going to cost his team. Can you, either of you, explain to me how, because you mentioned it, BLG, how could Dan Campbell be willing to do onside kicks and fake punts and all that stuff, and then at the end of the game, he goes down and kicks a field goal. I shouldn't say at the end of the game. It was the third quarter. It's fourth and seven at the Rams 13, and he kicks a 31-yard field goal. Like, how are you willing to risk so much earlier in the game, and yet in a situation where you know you're going to need a touchdown because the Rams offense is really good, he, he puckers up and kicks a field goal. I'm looking at him trying to scroll through the, the fourth down decision bot and see if there's a recommendation for it that I can grab. Cause that's a tricky one to me. Fourth and seven at the 13. Like that's so, Oh, here we go. Fourth and seven at the LRM Rams 13. This is the Ben Baldwin bot. Uh, it's very strong field goal attempt uh, recommendation plus 5.2 win percentage. And that's what the, the lines ended up doing. So model wise, it seems like it was a recommendation, which makes sense. I get why uh, that, like, like, like you said, it's a little bit, it's late in the third quarter, right? Yeah. At that point, like getting uh, the lead matters a lot. Also, when you go up by two, there's no way the opposing team can score a touchdown and make it more than a one possession game, right? And you, you go up by one, and they go for two, they can make it a seven point game. And you go up by two, the most they can make it is a six point game on one possession. So I get why it kind of keeps it in range still. But anyway, so the models liked it. Uh, I get why they did it. You know what I mean? Uh, Goff's red zone passing in all games, but especially in this game, left a lot to be desired. I guess it's just me. I just, when you have, especially when you have the worst team, I say it all the time. Field goals are failures, man. Like Mm -hmm. you got to get three field goals to overcome a single touchdown. 
as long as that's the case, they should not be kicking field goals as much as they are. But especially like in that spot, I think that's exactly what Dan Campbell was thinking, Ben. Oh, my God, we got to get the lead here. It's like, well, getting the lead is great, but it doesn't do anything for you until the game is over. Like getting the lead in the third quarter doesn't mean much, especially when you're playing the Rams. I don't know. I just thought it was crazy. No, I see where you're coming from for sure. All right, I have a question or two for Ben. Ben, what do you like most about my power rankings, which again are 100% <laughs> accurate? Uh, which which team here do you see that maybe like you're like I definitely agree with that one, and maybe it's something like that, like we're like maybe both high on than others, or I guess if you want to flip it around the other way and rip me and uh, like which one is like just who am I way too low on or who am I w- way too high on? I like we have Tennessee. I think that there's a okay. a big. Uh, at nine, by the now. way, just to, to, yeah. to preference or yeah, yeah. just, you know, for the readers who aren't looking at this. Yeah, yeah, there's a right. There's a big urgency now to really say, all right, we buy in on Tennessee because Tennessee beat the Bills and the Chiefs in back to back weeks. And that feels like an extremely big deal. And it is like it's awesome. Like it, it Tennessee has, has clearly wrested control of the AFC South in an instance where because of their schedule and the Colts schedule, they very easily could have dropped one or two. Colts pick up one or two. And all of a sudden, this upcoming game on Sunday matters a ton. And instead, they're sitting two games ahead uh, in the AFC South. So if they, they drop this one against the Colts, they split it one-on-one, they'll still be in a good spot. So they are ninth, puts them below Baltimore, below Cincinnati, uh, and, and in a very messy AFC, because they're right there, they're above the Chargers, they're above the Browns, they're above the Raiders, above the Chiefs. That's right where it feels like to me. There's a, a, a big, messy second tier below the Bills. The Titans are somewhere in it, but just because like Josh Allen's cleats couldn't find the turf on fourth and goal, doesn't mean to me that they're like a clear top tier team in the AFC. I think that, you know, we're obviously coming to understand that wins against the Chiefs matter less and less uh, as we kind of go down the road here. Um, And then that win against the Bills really was come down to one play. And they had a great game, but that's like, you know, had a pick six, got some luck. And so in general, I I think that they're the same team as they were before. I think they are a a good team in a bad division going to make the playoffs going to be a gnarly out in the playoffs because they play tough they play physical cold weather derrick henry like that sucks but in general don't have the firepower of the teams we expect to go far in the afc so this is the right spot for them for me with that said right below them the chargers that does bother me chargers are definitely better than the titans uh i think that the the chargers team that comes out of the bye week is going to be nuts uh because i think that there's very like again we've talked a little bit about new people in new places first time head coach for a you know, second time offensive coordinator for Joe Lombardi, but obviously he's never worked with Staley, he's never worked with Herbert, coming in and installing a new offense. They very clearly are running too much breeze stuff and not enough our quarterback can throw it 70 yards through a brick wall <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, and it's important that they accept that and change that. Uh, and, and over the bye week, you've heard Staley talk about developing a much more prolific early down offense because they've just been so cautious on early downs is what led to this extreme third down reliance on Justin Herbert. There's no need for that anymore. And I think if they get that cleaned up, this offense becomes all the more dangerous defense every single week, probably getting better and better and better as they figure out this brand daily defense, a really complex defense. Their team, I think is going to get uh, really, really good across the end of the season. So Chargers are better than Titans, but the Titans are appropriately ranked. I just want to, touch on something you mentioned because I thought it was crazy not crazy but it's surprising you said Tennessee doesn't have the weapons to make a deep run in the AFC playoffs it's like they got Derrick Henry they got Julio Jones they got AJ Brown you would think they would have the weapons but I tend to agree with you like they don't seem to be maximizing that yeah I don't use uh, that's the problem I when I like 
I, I say weapons, and when I think about like I've heard like things about offensive weapons, I'm thinking about defensive weapons. I'm thinking about uh, all right, we've got Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, Jeffrey Simmons, and Danico Autry, who was awesome against the Chiefs. Like that's our front, and we wanted these guys to be dominant. And they had the really best game of the season against the Chiefs. I'd like to see that continue before I really buy in on that. And then I look at uh, uh, defensively what they have in terms of their their coverage guys. And the Chiefs, or excuse me, the Titans in playoff runs past had enough defensive talent to sit there and play man coverage. Uh, Malcolm Butler, Adore Jackson. It wasn't perfect at all times. Titans fans would be the first to tell you they were bad in DVOA last year. They're absolutely right. But they had some good performances from those players. Right now, it's like Breon Borders and Janoris Jenkins with the injuries they have. You know what I mean? Like it is a nasty look in the in the back seven for them. Uh, so I, I, I like their offensive weapons. I do. Defensively, I think they don't have teeth. Uh, and so you've got to be hyper-efficient, no mistakes from Tannehill, seven instead of three when you catch, like, the Raiders in the playoffs or the Browns in the playoffs, not just, like, you know, the Bills and, and whoever else emerges as, like, a top-tier team if you really, really efficient scoring points. Because I don't think this Titans defense, even after a three-point game against the Chiefs, is going to be stopping a lot of people come playoff time. Don't like the Titans defense. But Jim Schwartz is on it, who you love, Ben, and kept Patrick Mahomes to his worst game. Uh, so interesting. You see the screenshot I posted? They had like a third and <laughs> 20, and they put Harold Landry like wider than I've ever seen a defense in the history of the NFL. I literally like, got it 11. Yeah. 11 he, technique. He wasn't just outside of the tight end, he was outside of the slot receiver. Man, was was when he went to rush the, uh, the right tackle, who's Mike Remmers, dropped back, like, and it was set, it was just like, had his hands down, was like, you let me know when you arrive. Like, I just got to wait here for you to show up. And then obviously he didn't even get remotely near Mahomes. I was like, yeah, okay. Shout out Jimbo. By the way, if you want to check out the power rankings, you can always go to bleedinggreennation.com. They are there every week for you. They are full of great little nuggets and stats from, from BLG. You should definitely go and read those every single week. Uh, there's one more team I want to get to before we take a quick break and get to our MVPs and LVPs, and that's the Baltimore Ravens, because I don't know what to do with them. One week, they come out against the Chargers and blow their doors off, 34-6, to and the next week against the Bengals team that's in their division, that's played well, they get their doors blown off, 41-17. to BLG, help me understand this. How could that happen to the same team in back-to-back weeks? Well, uh, it's interesting stats because I've been getting a lot of hate here on the oddcast for being like <laughs> anti-Lamar people, which really hasn't even been the case. I have not ripped Lamar Jackson like at all this season, maybe in week one after they lost to the Raiders, but basically not since then. I've not been too harsh on him at all. I think you did a good job of defending my argument stats on the look ahead with RJ. But RJ is like coming at us, both of us really, and especially me, uh, about this and talking about how Lamar should be the MVP and everything. And all of a sudden, they get their doors beat in at home, uh, no less, by a feisty Bengals squad. So a little interesting there that Joe Burrow comes in and dominates and outshines Lamar. Uh, Again, I'm not going to hate on Lamar, but I'm just saying, if we're kind of keeping track here, Joe Burrow played better than him. (laughs) He absolutely Uh, 100% did not. Lamar was nuts in that game. Lamar was so good. False. Lamar was All right, how? Because his offensive line is abysmal. It's so okay. It's always the offensive bad. line. Yep. Mm-hmm. BLG. BLG. So what's since when do the Bengals have the best offensive line in the NFL? And listen, what what they want to be in terms of that offensive line, they're able to execute, right? Because the 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 coaching decision, right? Because well, why got, can't the, the Ravens do that then? No, no, no. 
why don't the Ravens do that? We've been asking ourselves for three years when they will move on from Greg Roman and get somebody who can actually call a passing game. All right, you've, you've got Lamar Jackson. All right, and firstly, you don't have the running game you used to have, right? Because you have no running backs. You're putting Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman out there, which is a literal farce in the year 2021. Now, uh, you still have Lamar. So you still have this unbelievable ability to move linebackers, right? Lamar right now it targets the, the intermediate middle of the field more than any quarterback in the league. He's the second best quarterback in the league targeting that area behind only Tom Brady. And a big part of the reason is because he's able to move those linebackers because anytime he moves in the pocket at all, those linebackers freak out. And why wouldn't they, right? The second you feel like Lamar's breaking the, the path, the pocket, that becomes your sole focus because that dude is unbelievable. Then they hit these deep overs and these deep crosses and these deep digs behind it. It's unbelievable. And a throw to Marquise Brown between two zone, zone defenders moving out of the pocket. Gorgeous. They just they take that and then they just don't do it on passing downs. They, it, it's the belief that, like, because we're not running the ball, we can't. So they get down seven points, ten points in the fourth quarter, and it's just deep verticals. It's just, all right, hopefully Marquise Brown is one-on-one and knows where the ball is this time. So they have, it's 14 targets to Marquise Brown. Imagine 14 targets to slightly faster Jalen Rager. That's where they're at offensively right now. <laughs> that's where they are. And listen, I, that's probably unfair to Marquise Brown. And everybody in the fantasy community loves how productive he's been. He is a very inconsistent wide receiver. He's a very inconsistent player on film. So it's 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 Mark Andrews, so it's Dallas Goddard, it's Jalen Rager. It is that era of Eagles pass catchers plus like the, the injured Eagles offensive line. And then you have Lamar just running around there trying to do everything he can. The supporting cast in Baltimore offensively coaches and, 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 and roster with the injuries they've sustained is really, really deleterious. It's one of the, like the bottom eight in the league. And we don't notice it because of how good Lamar is to Joe Burrow's credit. They have the players that they wanted to have. And they knew what the plan was. They said, all right, we're getting a little bit more pressure. We're going to keep one extra. We're going to keep two extra in at times. But we're going to make Burrow be the quarterback. For, like He's going to be the, the captain. He's going to be the guy who runs the offense. That's what Burrow does well. And then Burrow just distributes. And it's, all right, I want to pick on 23. I'm going to pick on 23. He's a very good decision maker. He's very accurate. Burrow played a great game. Lamar Jackson's better quarterback. Uh, so question for you. Yeah, which quarterback did you like more coming out of the draft, Lamar or Joe Burrow? I had Burrow ranked higher than Lamar. Okay. Interesting. Right now, yeah. And, uh, and I had Lamar ranked 14th in that class. I want to say I had Burrow ranked like top five. What Burrow does uh, mentally, very few quarterbacks coming out do. What Lamar does physically, very few quarterbacks coming out do. Sure. Now it becomes a matter of how you implement them, right? Uh, if you were trying to build like a, a, a West Coast style passing game offense, you would take Burrow over Lamar because he gives you that offense. But in this NFL with play action and with quarterbacks creating outside of structure, Lamar's the better quarterback. Done. Last thing I'll say on this is that I don't think this game is like a um, indictment of the Ravens as much as it is kind of just a statement for the Bengals. Like it wasn't it wasn't about like the, the Ravens necessarily being frauds for me stats as much as the Bengals announcing like they're they're here. They arrived. Yep. Like they're legit. They're they're players in the AFC playoff picture. I mean, heck. You beat the Ravens, maybe you, I don't think they're going to win the NFC or the AFC North. Definitely not going to win the NFC North. Might win, win <laughs> might win the AFC North. I still think the Ravens should be considered the favorites there. But I mean, they're going to at least make the playoffs. All right, let's take a break really quick. And when we come back, we'll get to our MVP and LVP points. I believe I have two LVPs, which is good because I've got plenty of hate to hand out when we come back. 
This is the off-day debrief here with BLG and Benjamin Solak of The Ringer, gracious enough to lend us some of his time this morning. We always do our MVP and LVP points. BLG, where do you want to go first? Do you want to give out your MVP? What do you want to do? Yeah, I will give out, you know, we'll do this. We'll bat it back and forth. Me starting with one of my two MVP points. And the first one I have is who we just talked about. So I'll keep it short. It's Joe Burrow. Um, I think, again, when you have this kind of like when you have a young quarterback and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this guy any good? And I kind of think back to Carson Wentz earlier on in his career. And I think one of the things Carson lacked early on, but then kind of, you know, eventually this was kind of decided uh, is he like especially in the rookie season he lacked that signature win and I don't know if we've seen that you know or, or at least a whole lot of that out of Joe Burrow thus far and I think this is a game you point to as like okay Joe Burrow has arrived franchise quarterback this is a signature statement kind of win so I give him a point um, again for outshining Lamar as Ben argued <laughs> that he definitely did uh, so that's where I go with first Ben do you believe in Cincinnati I think Cincinnati is a, a well-coached, well-put-together team. And I wouldn't expect to have said well-coached about Cincinnati coming into the season. Uh, it's going to make the playoffs. It's going to learn a lot from that process. What worries me about a team like Cincinnati is when you when you hear broadcasters talk about it, when you hear analysts talk about why they're good, us or on TV or whatever, it comes down to how well this team is coalescing. They're a team that feels greater than the sum of their parts. And we've seen teams like that make deep runs. But it's very rare. Usually it's elite quarterback, elite coach, elite defense, whatever it is. And I think the Bengals have a gnarly defense. I think they have a, a, a impressive passing game. And I think they got a, a really good quarterback. There's no real hanger hat on here in terms of like a star talent. The, I mean, Jamar Chase obviously looks amazing through seven weeks. But to me, like, you know, people talk about I'm top three, top five receiver in the league. I'm not there with him yet. So hmm. that feels more difficult to trust when we get to playoff time. With that said, uh, very young team with a generally very cautious and tight walleted ownership. Is Boy, very ownership, ownership and general manager is also the same in Cincinnati. You gotta remember that. This team with 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 cohesion and, and a few really good defensive free agent signings, right? This is one of the more aggressive past couple of off seasons. Getting to the playoffs, getting playoff experience, and even winning a game could be huge for Cincinnati in terms of getting ownership over the hump. And then deciding to say, all right, you know what? We've got like we're not going to Carson Palmer, Marvin Lewis, this John. Like we're gonna we're gonna go. We're we're gonna get aggressive. We're gonna bring star talent in, and we're gonna make a push here. Uh, and so while I don't really buy Cincinnati this year for a budding team like them to make the playoffs and to hopefully galvanize ownership into some aggressive decisions, could be really really good for their long term outlook. You are very generous to Mike Brown there. What did you call him? Tight walleted. Tight walleted. There's another word for that that I could think of that is uh, far more mean. Cautious. Uh, but anyway, he's just he's very judicious in his uh, approach. <laughs> yes, he's very careful with money. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, my MVP is a team we already talked about, uh, but Cooper Cup. I mean, he is absolutely destroying the NFL right now. Ten catches, 156 yards, two touchdowns last week. He's on pace to break Calvin Johnson's single season receiving yardage record. He's got 809 yards and nine touchdowns already. We're, we're halfway through the season. If you took just his yards from the slot, he'd be sixth in the NFL. He leads the league in targets, receiving yards, first downs, touchdowns. I mean, we forget this is a guy that's already had an ACL injury. He's absolutely destroying everyone in his path right now for the Rams. I give Cooper Cup my MVP point, BLG. 
I feel like we've seen how much the Rams miss Cooper Cup too. At times when he hasn't been able to play in the past, like it, it makes a big difference. He is vital, I think, to their operation. I am giving my second MVP point to the guy just right behind him in the receiving uh, category, and that is the aforementioned Jamar Chase, who is just – it's nuts. He's a rookie. He, he didn't play football at all last year. Maybe that's helping because he's well-rested or whatever. But, um, you know, there was talk in training camp, Oh, he, I mean, by himself, that he couldn't catch the football because it looks different. And, you know, maybe there's rusty, whatever. He wasn't having the best training camp. I mean, he's second in the NFL – or first, really, actually. Or I'm not including DJ Tark here. He doesn't have enough uh, targets to qualify. Um, in yards per reception at 21.5. Um, receiving yards he is at 754 he had a obviously huge game against the ravens with eight receptions for 201 one touchdown along of 82 um, caught eight of his 10 targets in that game uh, i gave it to burrow i have to give it to chase as well i just think that connection is electric early on and it's going to be a problem for many years to come and wait, one last thing. And he was beating Marlon, Marlon Humphrey here. It wasn't yeah. just like taking advantage of any quarterback. And I think Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey is kind of underrated from a national perspective. I mean, like everyone knows he's a good player. I don't think anyone thinks he's bad or anything. But like, I just don't think we talk about Marlon Humphrey enough when we talk about like the top, the definitive top corners in the game. Um, so for him to be just like like owning uh, Marlon Humphrey, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I would have said all season long, I've got to see Jamar against top corner. And then he got Marlon. I was like, yeah, Marlon's going to glove him up. Like Marlon's going to teach him. This is what the NFL is. And then Marlon Humphrey got burned by CJ Uzoma. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It was a really rough game for Marlon Humphrey, uh, pole to pole. And, yeah, Jamar Chase took his lunch money a couple times. Really impressive performance. I have two LVP points this week, and I know exactly where I'm going to spend them. And it is both in the same city and the same team, and it is my team and it is my San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, come on down. Congratulations. I'm tired of watching the same movie over and over and over again. Once again, I had to watch the 49ers come out, and I don't give a crap that it was a monsoon because that didn't affect the Colts. The 49ers come out. They have an awesome first drive. Kyle Shanahan scripts up a first drive. You couldn't get any better. They go right down the field. They stick it in the end zone. After that, it was like he forgot everything that worked in the game. The 49ers didn't do anything. They had five straight three and outs, not just five straight punts, five straight three and outs. There were no deep passes, despite the fact that the Colts secondary was held together with scotch tape and bubble gum. Of course, Jimmy Garoppolo had three turnovers because that's all Jimmy Garoppolo does. The 49ers look completely lost, and it just it looks like they don't know what the hell they're doing there. And yet, Kyle Shanahan comes out yesterday in his press conference and says, Jimmy Garoppolo is the starting quarterback. I do not understand. The same team that moved heaven and earth to move up to number three in the draft and take Trey Lance, the same team that flirted with every single quarterback that was on the market and some that were off the market, Dak Prescott, looking at you. Now they're doing everything they can to keep Jimmy Garoppolo in the lineup. Ben, you are outside the 49ers bubble, so maybe I'm just too emotional about this. When you look at what the 49ers are doing right now, does it make sense to you? So there's two things that I've I've said for a long time. I should... One, I said for a long time. The other, I've mostly said this year. Everything so, is delicious. Is everything is delicious. Uh, number one is, it, 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 quarter, you, can, you can start a rookie. You can sit a rookie. You can put him in during the first year. You can do whatever. Uh, you have to respond to the guy you've got in the building. You, 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 once you draft a dude, 
you know, you know, you don't want to be in a position as a team where you feel like you have to start him right away. So that might be bad for his development. But once you draft him, you have to draft him with a knowledge of how you think he learns, a knowledge of how you think he's going to develop, a knowledge of what you think his timeline is going to be. Because you, you've worked with your quarterback's coach, you worked with your, with your scouting department to understand him and how he thinks. And then you have that plan, you get him in the building, you got to throw that plan out, reassess, and come up with the best way to make sure this guy develops into the quarterback that you drafted. Sometimes that means he starts day one. And I could have made that argument for Trey Lance. Uh, a player with one year of FCS experience is going to need to play some bad football before he plays some good football. does not matter when you put him in. could put him in year two, year three. It's going to happen. He, he needs the learned experience. So we bring that guy in, and, and, and we try to figure it out. So that's number one. You have to figure out and respond to your person. Not everybody's Patrick Mahomes. Not everybody's Josh Allen. Not everybody's Josh Rosen. Okay. The other thing is, man, Kyle Shanahan's really done a rough job developing young offensive talent over the last couple of years, right? Uh, Shanahan has a lot of influence over that front office. Uh, and, All and the when, influence. When John Lynch came in, it was a surprise. A lot of people didn't really know he was in the GM market. And a lot of it was because that was going to give Shanahan a heavier hand than a lot of head coaches have in the front office. Since then, they've made a lot of early picks on offense. I've got to tell you, Rob, most of those have not worked. Joe Williams was not on the board. Then all of a sudden, he was the third-round pick. Uh, you know, you have Dante Pettis, you have Jalen Hurd, another weird one early. You have now Brandon Ayuk, you have Aaron Banks, who struggled to find the field so far this year. Debo was a good pick, and then Kittle was a great pick late. But we'll, we're noticing that these late picks seem to be sticking out. And I don't think Shanahan cares much about those. He cares about the early ones, and those are the ones that are struggling to work. Uh, the, the Niners' biggest problem right now as a team is how much influence Shanahan has on the people they bring in before he even starts implementing his scheme. Which brings us to a player like Lance, and we say, all right, Shanahan very clearly had a lot of influence bringing this guy in. If he's been in any way disappointed or frustrated with the way Lance has prepped or prepared or performed or whatever, are we already doing this? Are we already doing the game where we just kind of like like pick on a young guy and try to push his buttons and try to find a way to get him moving and like use him in weird ways? I don't know. So I'm always of the belief that you should trust the coaching staff and the guys in the building to figure out when to put the rookie in. With that said, the offensive coaching staff right now that's really hard to trust on that matter is Kyle Shanahan's in San Francisco. But Jimmy Garoppolo has played like crap. And I get that, like, yeah, you want to do everything that's good for your development. But, like, dude, this is the NFL. You don't always get to go in when conditions are perfect. Justin Herbert found out he was starting like 10 minutes before the game in his rookie year in a season with no offseason, and he goes in and drops 300 yards and multiple touchdowns on the defending Super Bowl champions. I get that you, you know, it's not ideal maybe for Lance's development, but at some point at every other position, if you're playing like crap, you get replaced. Yet somehow at the quarterback position, you could play like crap forever and nothing happens to you. You just keep getting rolled back out there. My thing is, I just, right, I I don't think starting Jimmy feels good. I don't like it. But if right now, if, they were, if I were in Shanahan's shoes and I believed with conviction that sitting Lance right now is the best thing to make him more likely to be good when he eventually plays later on, then I would bench him to play Garoppolo because I really don't care about the season as much anymore. I want to do whatever is necessary to make sure this guy develops. So if I had that conviction, I would I would take this path and I would start Jimmy. I'm not sure I would or that I do on the outside, but that's what I would do if I were there. Then we have something on this show called the pit of misery. 
and okay. it's where you throw people oh, no. they're just you know oh, kind of no. they're done for we've thrown i threw urban meyer in there week one obviously um i've thrown john gruden there obviously uh, is there anyone else stats that i've thrown in there i can't remember this year uh, i don't head. think so I think those are the two. Uh, but guess what, Stats? The San Francisco 49ers are entering the oh, pit. Oh, no. Please follow Sir Brad. He's going to give you a private tour of the pit of misery. I'm sorry, what? Throwing them in. They're done. They're toast. Finito, two and four. Stats all offseason is like, 49ers, they're going to be back in it. They're going to pick up where they left off in 2019. They're going back to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shane and Kyle Kyle Shanahan was the cited reason why, and some people's stats were like, I don't know, man. This is a guy who's under 500. You look at 2019, that's kind of the exception here based on when everything else has happened. He's 31 and 39 now. He's not going to get over 500 this season. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, is Kyle Shanahan the right coach in San Francisco? Is a question I think that needs to be asked. I don't think it's time to fire him uh, tomorrow, but like those questions are going to continue to be asked as the season goes along. Maybe Trey Lance proves to be legit for the long term and saves him and everything but i that's not a definite to me so i'm throwing the 49ers in because their season is done uh four straight losses and stats i might have to throw you in there with them oh, although <laughs> although i will say your honesty about them uh and the way you abandon ship maybe that saves you clearly i was wrong i did say that i thought that the 49ers could make a deep run if they started lance out of the gate and that, that's my biggest frustration, Ben, is that he, he's going to have growing pains no matter when you play him. I don't care how long you sit him. Every rookie has growing pains. It's just naturally part of the process. Look at the Patriots with Mac Jones, right? I think that you can see Mac Jones is a better quarterback now than he was at the start of the season. He's gotten in there. He's gotten experience. He's gotten playing time. He can adjust to the speed of the game. All that crap. It's all going well for the Patriots. They seem to be developing him on a very clear path. The 49ers are sitting Trey Lance, so you're just delaying all that stuff, which means you're probably, you know, going to have to go through some things in 2022 if he doesn't get on the field. So then maybe in 2023, you can hope to be competitive. Like, how many years do we have to wait with Kyle Shanahan before we start to expect some wins? Yeah, and it's uh, uh, the also the idea of, like, not only does starting him allow him to get better because he needs reps to improve, it allows you – as a play caller to better figure out what to do for him. Uh, you throw stuff out that you try it, it works and it doesn't. And then you grow and you're seeing again, the new England example, Mac's getting better, but also McDaniels is getting better with all yes. those new pass catchers, figuring out how to get guys where Mac wants them and how he likes them. I wonder if you asked Kyle Shanahan, if he feels like he needs to put Lance out there so he can learn how to call plays for Lance over time, if he would accept that premise, because my guess is he wouldn't. My guess would be like, no, nah, like I would be good. But it's the reality. You got a new quarterback out there. You're gonna have to relearn how you call plays to this guy, how you get it out there. And so, right, there's a bit of a uh, rigidity there that I think is frustrating in terms of how they've got this thing planned out and the fact that they're not really adjusting to newly calibrated season expectations. Speaking of plans, sorry, BOT, did you want to? I my final one, my final uh, LVP point to give oh. out. Apologies. my one and only sorry yeah uh i'll just make it real quick it's patrick mahomes uh don't not going to get the opportunity to do this often but when mahomes had as bad of a game as he did i think it's deserved and i was talking to rj ochoa from the sp nation nfl show and the nfc's mixtape which we obviously bring up once a podcast that we are on uh i was saying to him during the game 
as they're getting blown out by the Titans, like before he got hurt and everything, obviously. And I maybe that's a little cruel to do this with the you know the injury and everything. But I had I had this written down before he got hurt, and I honestly felt like he should be benched at one point in that game. And I thought back to when Andy Reid did that with not like so Ben made a face here, I'm not like when the game. Face. Not when the game was competitive, but like when it was getting out of hand and it was just spiraling out of control. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and here's why. And it's because Andy Reid has done it before with Donovan McNabb back in 2008 when they were getting blown out by the Ravens. And it's a little bit of a different circumstance because they had just drafted Kevin Cobb and Kevin Cobb was like this weird elephant in the room, kind of waiting in the win- wings, potentially Donovan McNabb's successor. But I think part of why Andy bench McNabb in that game, because it was like, hey, you need to realize that if you're playing really poorly, we're going to sit you. So, like, you better step it up. And McNabb responded great by playing out uh, or playing really well the rest of the season. He had a great game on Thanksgiving right after that. The Eagles went to the NFC Championship game that year. So I just feel like that kind of could have been useful. Now, I think this kind of happened with the injury and everything, so the, the situation didn't arise. But I really felt like Andy should fool Mahomes when it got really bad really late in that game. Be like, hey, like if you're going to do this nonsense where like you're trying to like just do a little bit too much here, like just stop. Like Take a step back, pause, reset, watch the game from the sideline, and kind of realize that like you're not God. Like You can't just do literally whatever you want. Like You have to <laughs> – You have to. Like, there has to be some kind of accountability here. So um, I have to give it to Mahomes. He's really bad this Chiefs season. It's crazy to say, but kind of looks like a lost season, at least for their standards. You know, they're still probably going to have a winning record and everything, I, w- I would guess. But, you know, they're not contending for a championship right now. I have them outside the top 10 of my power rankings. I dropped them to 13th. Like, it's it's crazy to say we're here, but we are. Are you on the bench Mahomes train, Ben? No, I get what I get what BLJ was saying there. I'm not saying, wait, wait, wait. I'm not saying bench him. I'm not saying, like, That's sit him down. I, You're not, I yeah. don't know. Firstly, in I, the game. Yeah, I remember that. That it was 2008 that Ravens caught right because I was Cobb drafted. Yep. Yeah, uh, yep. I remember that, and I remember the the discussions around that. That was a total nightmare. So I'm not sure you want to invite that. Maybe you learn from that. Uh, I, I understand it from the perspective of this is a a late game. We're giving up a lot of pressure. The only thing that would make this worse is if we gave you an injury, and also maybe like you need to kind of like take a breath. I'm fine with all that. I think in general, uh, you understand that the only reason you've won the three games that you've won. The only reason you've been in in the Ravens game, right, and the Chargers game was really what Mahomes is able to do for you, right? Because the running game is nowhere, the offensive line is worse, and the defense is abysmal. Uh, Mahomes has been a buoy for this team. Uh, I think in general you trust him leadership-wise. And also, uh, this is really his first big adversity in the NFL. It's you kind of do want him to live through it a little bit. Like I think it is important lived experience to be like, oh, we're losing now. And like I've got to go out there and be the quarterback of a losing team and deal with that know what that's like i think that's going to be a learning process for him so i I get it from an injury perspective and maybe from like a take a breath perspective in general i think you you continue to play mahomes as much as you can doesn't only only give you the best chance to win also probably means a lot for the team for mahomes to start to learn what it's like to play when when the chips are against you a little bit yeah i remember steve young getting benched in 1994 against the philadelphia eagles when the eagles were crushing the 49ers that year george seifert pulled steve young out of the game Steve Young said he wanted to fight George Seifert on the sidelines. Young went out and dominated the rest of the season, and the Niners won the Super Bowl. So we've seen that sometimes maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Before we go, Ben, I want to give you an opportunity to speak on your Philadelphia Eagles. I know that BLG has been resisting the urge to bring it up. We we ain't got to do this. Uh, Jalen Hurts is the king of garbage time. 
I feel like he plays like crap for the whole game. And then at the end, he gets goes on like a late touchdown drive that puts it in like a one score game or like a 12 point game always makes it look better than it is. Am I wrong on that? Absolutely not. And but the important thing is this. It's the timing at which you say it, because if you say it, oh, I don't know, like two or three weeks ago, every Eagles fan in the entire world tries to murder you. <laughs> uh, and then they lose a couple games. And this is how it always is. BLG knows. So I know this from my time at, at Bleeding Green. It's just about the time at which you say it. And if, if you've got public opinion with you or not, because the Eagles pendulum swings fast and ferociously. Uh, and so, yes, Jalen Hurts has always been a guy who looks a lot better in the box score at the end of the game than he does in the box score during the game, let alone just on film in the game. Uh, and that has been a reality that I think a lot of, uh, Eagles fans, fantasy football fans also obviously are really big on the production, have struggled to, to uh, grab, which makes it hard for them to rank Hurts relative to quarterbacks in the league. Hurts is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, Hurts is a, is a backup caliber player. There's nothing wrong with being a backup caliber player. He's a great backup to have. Like He's an, he's an ideal backup to have because – you can fold in the quarterback run, lets you do like stuff that you weren't doing with your with your starting quarterback. Or if you are a very heavy quarterback run team, you need to have that in a backup. Uh, he prepares out of his mind, right? He's an extremely like good, like a hard worker, great locker room guy. Uh, and then he's got enough good plays in him that he can win you a couple games as a backup. And that's what we've seen with the Eagles last year and this year is that they get some some bad teams, they get some lucky breaks, the Panthers game with the block pot, and they're able to get the job done. There's nothing wrong with being an average quarterback in the league was a long career as a backup. That's what Hurts projected as coming out of college. That's what he's looked like so far in the pros. Uh, it's just important to, to, to get your mind around that reality as you're calibrating expectations for the Eagles moving forward. There is something wrong when you use pick number 53 on the player that you're describing, which is what the <laughs> Eagles did. And that's obviously not Jalen Hurts' fault, but like yes. the Eagles management that is leading this team into the future and has all those top picks to work with is very not inspiring. And if I we want to if we want to bring this whole conversation full circle, who did they talk about when they drafted Jalen Hurts? Russell Wilson. Because mm. they didn't want to miss out on Russ. And, oh, we were going to pick Russ in the second round. Then we didn't. We thought we'd get him in the third round. And now he's so good. And so we had to make sure we took this short, mobile quarterback earlier. So that way we could get us the <laughs> franchise quarterback outside of the first round. It does not work like that. That is it. You are chasing fairies. That is a pipe dream. Every Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson lies to every other team and makes them believe that their scouting staff and their coaching staff can draft and develop a mid-round quarterback to be a starter. It is not a tenable approach. If you luck into it, awesome. But you should not be trying to luck into it. It's a bad process. And I don't think it's insane that Jalen Hurts could get benched like in the near future. I'm not going to say it's the most like I'm not saying like it's definitely going to happen. Gardner, give me some Minshew mania, baby. I think the Joe Flacco trade is about getting, you know, uh, anything for a player. I'm shocked you could get anything for And What are the Jets doing, by the way? Why are you giving up a pick that can become a fifth? And that's like a top 150 pick potentially for Joe Flacco. Like, it's crazy. Um, But anyway, putting that angle aside, uh, and obviously it makes sense for the Eagles to get something for him. And it doesn't make sense for Joe Flacco to be on the roster when the team is bad anyway. And you're not really trying to, like, go all out to win this year but I, I do think there's an angle of moving Gardner Minshew up the depth chart following the Joe Flacco trade that kind of sets the wheels in motion for a scenario where if Jalen Hurts continues to struggle here it will be Gardner and I don't really think that is super meaningful in that like, I don't think Minshew is likely to be the guy for long after that but I mean they'll give a look they'll give him a look and that will be also mean that Hurts is probably done and it sets up an interesting offseason ahead where the Eagles 
desperately need a franchise quarterback and have no super clear path to one in that like as ben would probably tell you the draft the 2022 nfl draft doesn't have like a surefire stud at the top that you're definitely drafting with one of those picks or whatever trading up for and then who knows what the eagles can get in terms of like can they trade for russell wilson does he want to go to philly um and aaron Rodgers potentially available but i am i will bet a lot of money that aaron Rodgers does not come to the eagles so uh, yeah, not the greatest times for Eagles fans. I just want to know if Gardner Minshew comes in and starts kicking ass, Ben, are you going to grow out a mullet? <laughs> no. And also take everything I said about being a good backup quarterback for your entire career about Hurts. Just put it <laughs> yeah. right on Brown Gardner. Change the running yep. thing a little bit. Uh, and then it, that's it, right? Like it's just there's there. It is. He is a good player to have on your roster. Trading a sixth round pick for him is awesome. That's it. So I know, I know, it, I know it feels good to be like, all right, they're going to bench hearts, but they're going to put a Minshew and it's going to be better. Sure. It's probably going to be better in the sense that like, we're going to see some more good Devante plays like that'll be fun. Uh, but in general, I'm not as sold that it will like, you know, really take a, a big step forward in terms of the offense. The reality of the Eagles is that they won a Super Bowl and then immediately spent all of their money on their old players to retain them. Those players are now four or five years older. None of them are as effective. Uh, and they were not able to bring in or develop any young talent Dallas got <laughs> notwithstanding. There was so much anger in that, just that any. I could, yeah. I could hear the angst in your voice. Uh, ben, we thank you very much for the time here. That is going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. You can hear Ben on the Ringer NFL show as well as to a million other things. As he said earlier, you know, when you do a lot of radio hits, you get I've to talk like about two thir- radio thing. hits. All right. I, maybe three. I don't know. Today. Uh, no. <laughs> BLG, thank you as always for the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. We remind you one more time, please rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. We are grateful for every single follower that we have. If you have signed up already, that is awesome. Please take an extra second and leave us a rating and a review. It's a small thing you can do that makes a big difference for us. Enjoy your Tuesday, everybody. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. We'll talk next week.